everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. We're so pleased you're with us for this author interviewed episode. Our special guest is Robert Kingette. Today, we'll be discovering a wealth of information from Robert, as he is a journalist, blogger, novelist, and editor. We will also ask about his success in these different genres and his recently released anthology. We know this interview with Robert Connect will be an inspiration not only about writing, but also about overcoming challenges and obstacles. Even beyond the personal success he's experienced, he guides us by his example of how to advocate for greater inclusivity in publishing literature and society. From fiction to nonfiction, blogging to editing, toppling corporate barriers to audio description, and ableism to homophobia. Listeners, my personal best advice is make sure you're sitting down for this episode. First, we want to remind you to submit your entry for our exactly 52-word contest. Time is running out. The deadline is September 30th, 11.59 p.m. Enter at writingworkswonders.com. Click Contact Us. I'm Dr. Kathy King, and I'm so pleased to introduce you to my fabulous co-host, Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Hey, Kathy. I'm so glad to be here, and you're my fabulous co-host also. And I'm going to talk up the contest just a little bit more and that you can enter online at our website through email. You can also call us and leave us a message. We will transcribe your entry if you are having difficulty or you do not have access to the internet. We want you to be involved and we will make this as accessible as we can. You need to be 18 years or older. There's no entry fee. The prize is $25 and it's 52 words, no more, no less than that is including your title. You can check out the guidelines on our website. Terrific. And we'll read off that number at the end of the show. Let's move on to our interview with our illustrious guest, author Robert Kingett. First, I'll briefly introduce our listening audience to Robert. Robert Kinnett is a totally blind author and accessibility advocate. He writes fiction and nonfiction, but often wears other hats. He is a sensitivity reader and occasionally blogs. He also writes and edits audio description. Robert publishes many short stories alongside editing anthologies. He always makes time to read a book or check out podcasts. We like that, Robert. <laughs> he describes himself as a very weird person. Robert loves stealing unicorn-shaped cookies from rainbow-tinged cookie jars and tap-dancing kittens. Robert loves networking with other minority authors, especially authors with disability and writers who identify as members of the LGBT plus community. So Cheryl, are we ready for unicorns and kittens on Writing Work Wonders? Absolutely. And Robert, it's all about the icing on the cookies. I agree. <laughs> the more icing, the better. So, <laughs> we are so glad you're here on Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are so excited to have you here. In 2016, 
I became familiar with you because I read Off the Grid, which was such an amazing story that the three and a half hour read went by so fast because I was so engrossed in it. And I must say, thank you for doing it and putting your words into text. So then I got the idea of what it was like and I don't have to do it. And I know we're several years later, but still great read. Can you describe the premise behind this book? Sure. So Off the Grid is a memoir novella. It chronicles one month without using the internet. And now there is an expanded version that includes things that were not in the original book. Now you get to see how I tackled things like banking, for example, without having any internet. But I'm really happy that you enjoyed it. It was a social experiment, and one of the major tasks was to document this social experiment in real time. So after documenting that whole month without the internet, I chose to package it all up and turn it into a book. That's fabulous, and I I really enjoyed it. Thank you. I look forward to reading the updated version. And now where you have a new book being released in September, an anthology called Artificial Divide. Would you give us a sneak peek into this book? Sure thing. Artificial Divide is a multi-genre fiction anthology that features blind and visually impaired writers writing stories from the point of view of a blind and visually impaired protagonist. So you have a wide array of genres in the anthology, and you have a a wide array of uh, visually impaired authors to show that we're not all the same and we're not a monolith. However, (laughs) a lot of non-disabled individuals think that because they met one visually impaired person, they've met every visually impaired person, and they tend to lump us all into one giant category of human. (laughs) So the title actually comes from the subset of ableism, where everybody thinks that we're all the same and have the same needs. Artificial divide, it says that even though you may think that we're all the same, we're actually not the same, yet a lot of the struggles that we go through, you can certainly sympathize with as well. That's a wonderful premise, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that book, Robert. We know several of the authors that are being highlighted, their work included, and it's going to be quite an advance to have visually impaired authors being able to include characters for fiction who are maybe more multidimensional than people who don't have disability portray them as. I think that's a large part of what you're trying to accomplish there as well. Yes, yes, you hit the nail on the head. Great. Yeah, I think it'll be a great contribution. I'm also an editor and have edited anthologies, books, and journals. And we've created a few podcast episodes about successful submissions for people when they're working with editors. Can you describe the process that authors experience when they submit to an anthology? The process that authors experience, it can feel like you're shouting into the void. You send your work out to an editor. In our case, it was me and another visually impaired editor. In our 
case, we would read each and every submission, and then we had to make a very, very hard decision on which stories to include and which to not include. From the author's point of view, you would make sure that you have a completed short story within the word limits that are set, and then you would make sure that it's nicely packaged and everything, that there are minor grammar and spelling issues. Try to eliminate as many typos as you can and try to package it up into one document and then read the submission guidelines for key details like have your name and contact information at the very top of the manuscript, as well as things that you should do when sending the email and things that you should do in the cover letter. Did you want to hear about the anthology through the editor's point of view? Sure. Okay. <laughs> it's not easy when you're an editor. However, it's actually really helped me with my writing and my submission process because now I have a solid idea of what editors look for, generally speaking. One thing that I should let everybody know right off the bat, if you're rejected, it's not necessarily that your work is terrible or that it's not good or that you're not a good writer. In some cases, it just comes down to personal taste. There were some stories that just did not resonate with me. Even though they were very well written, I just didn't connect with those stories. So it's not a binary of your writing is great or it's not great. So it's a very subjective process. And like I know that it can be nerve-wracking not having an objective process in things like this, but when you're dealing with literature, you should kind of go into any sort of creative field thinking that decisions are not made objectively, they are always made subjectively. You made several very good points, Robert, including the fact that the rejection doesn't mean that it's not good writing. It might just not fit the particular volume. They might have too many of a certain type mm -hmm. and yours was in that group. It could maybe doesn't resonate with the editors. It could be a variety of reasons. So we really need to be careful on how we process those rejection letters for ourselves as authors. Very good points made. Thank you. And Robert, the types of writing that you publish span nonfiction, fiction, blogging, editing, and more. How do you successfully write across genres? Not everybody can shift, and you seem to do it successfully, flawlessly. Well, I like to joke that I don't sleep at all. <laughs> um, I... <laughs> But the key thing is to practice and just try new genres and new things. I practiced for many, many, many years in multiple genres. That kind of being said, even now, 
I still have areas where I can improve in certain genres, and I'm not afraid to say that. You should never be afraid to notice where you can improve and how you can improve it. But the old cliche is true. Just keep trying to practice. And when you're practicing, <laughs> you should not strive for publication. Early on, when I was shifting from nonfiction to fiction, I had a rejection letter goal that said, okay, I'm going to get 100 rejection letters this year. Uh, <laughs> just keep on trying and keep refining. And most importantly, you have to read. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many authors, they don't read anymore. And it really shows. You have to read. <laughs> Even if it's for 20 minutes a day, you just have to read practice and read. But how I did it was I took that rejection letter goal and I sort of made it into a training exercise. Like when I got a personalized rejection from an editor, I would copy that email and put it in a document and really look through it with a few other writing friends of mine and say, okay, well, does this match up with what you read when you read the story? So it's a collaboration and persistence on my part. And I think you explain the benefits of it too, because it makes you more diversified, right? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Once you start to do it enough, you'll easily transition. It's not as jarring when you're shifting from fiction to nonfiction. The more you do it, the easier slide into different genres. You'd say what many of us say and what we've heard as authors to read and read and read some more. And by mm -hmm. reading, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, I can see how, oh, this nonfiction could be a story or mm -hmm. how they can mix. So switching topics here, Robert, your nonfiction writing centers on some compelling topics related to disability advocacy. The one titled Submission Accessibility for Literary Agents and Editors is a fabulous contribution. Have you had responses to any of your suggestions that you put forth there? I've had a ton of responses and the acceptance was so overwhelming that I had to schedule a lot of calls because literary agents had questions for me and tons of publishers had loads of questions on how to make their submission process more inclusive. I didn't know that I was going to get that level of positive intrigue. But after emerging from the deluge of emails and tweets about it, I <laughs> am very happy to say that I educated a lot of people in the hopes that they will then take that knowledge and open the gates for more people to come into traditional publishing. Because the fact of the matter is that we need more diversity in literature. We just need it. It's mm -hmm. too status quo right now, which is creating a lot of stale content. So we need fresh new voices to come up in there. And so that's what I'm trying to do is trying to make it easier for those who really do want to break into the industry. 
my hope is that eventually a lot of these gatekeeping kind of barriers will dissolve and diminish to the point where we don't really have to think about accessibility when pitching to markets and everything like that. That publishers and literary agents will just automatically adopt a new workflow based on the needs of the author with no hesitation or questions. Well, that's very encouraging to hear. I had no idea that you would have gotten such a positive response from the field. How exciting. I highly recommend this article to our listeners, Submission Accessibility for Literary Agents and Editors. It will open your eyes if you have a disability issue yourself as to some of the barriers you're experiencing and some others that exist and how they can be overcome by the literary agents and publishers. All of the articles and all of the books that we're referring to in this podcast, let me assure you, listeners, we will have these listed on our show notes and on our website at writingworkswonders.com. So you'll be able to access these. And most of the nonfiction articles we're referring to now are freely available on Robert's website. We'll have links to those for you to be able to enjoy them. You do not want to miss these. Let me tell you, some of the best nonfiction writing I've read in a long time. Robert, you have a real talent for hitting some of the critical areas in the disability field, and not in a traditional way that I've read them discussed. You seem to have thought about them in great detail, pulled them apart and determined how to present these in an insightful way. Another one of these that I really enjoyed and appreciated was stereotypes deserve representation too. And this has a very different focus indeed. What are some venues or forums that you would suggest that authors with disability can contact to submit articles on disability advocacy? That's the focus of your article here, Stereotypes Deserve Representation too. You talk about people with disabilities getting published and being heard in the written word, much like you're just saying now, moving away from the status quo and instead our voices being heard. That's sort of the main issue, isn't it? That there's actually not a lot of these. There's a handful of them. What I would take note of is Breath and Shadow magazine. They publish fiction and I think nonfiction. They make a point to publish disabled authors. Another venue that I would try to submit to, even though they don't pay, it's still a great way to get some practice in. It's a magazine called Magnets and Ladders, and that magazine highlights disabled authors. And if you want to try to publish something In the career sector, you could go to a magazine called Ability Magazine. However, there are quite a bit of mainstream places that are taking more disability-centric work, like Clark's World Magazine. They just recently had a call for disabled authors. But you could also go to my website. I have a paying markets page on there, and it changes throughout the day. So you can return to that page and kind of look at some calls for submissions. What I hope is that more and more disabled writers will pitch to non-disability-centric places. 
Exactly. That will widen the understanding of our experiences when people without disabilities are reading about them as well. Thank you. I can't wait to check out your paying market page, Robert. I had not stumbled on that one yet. (laughs) 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 I thought I I had been through that website quite thoroughly. (laughs) I think you're going to have a lot of hits on that one after this gets public. Yes. My goal is to try to provide tools and resources and avenues for authors to just get a foot in the door. But the stereotype article that you were right, I think long and hard about these minuscule or what seems like it's a minuscule problem. However, when you pick it apart, it sort of grows into this wide systemic problem. And so after picking it apart, then my next question is, okay, well, how do we solve this problem? How can society solve the issue so that it's not creating barriers for people or it's not othering uh, marginalized voices as well? Terrific description, Robert. Thank you for that. So I know I'm using a lot of superlatives, but I really enjoyed your writing. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. And I'll turn to a short fiction piece this time. This was an unsuspecting article on your website, and it's called Deserving Conference. Now, what could that be about, right? Deserving (laughs) Conference. I'm like, this is fiction? This sounds like a call for papers or something. Very academic. (laughs) But it turned out to be a wonderful blend of what I perceived, I could be all wrong on this, but it seemed like critical social issues, humor, and you are very humorous. Your writing can be very funny, but also tragedy and love all blended together. We'll share the link to the audio for this in our show notes for listeners to enjoy. But Robert, would you describe your creative process for developing stories related to social issues? You described your nonfiction development. Mm -hmm. But this one is fiction, and you're getting at social issues, critical issues, and you've rolled it all together with all this fun and and lovely experience, but tragedy as well. (laughs) What's your process for that? So my process, so I'm a pantser. And so what that means is I typically just sit down and trot around the document, if you will, kind of like how a horse would just trot through a field. There's no outlining. There's no really deep process. I just think of an idea and think of a conflict. And then I think of a conflict resolution. And then from there, I just kind of pants my way through. You can do it totally differently. You can actually map your short story from beginning to end, but I can't do that. I realized that I got so hung up on the outline that the story wasn't actually being created. So what I do in terms of fiction is I try to think about what experiences have I had in my life? And then I think about what characters do I want to create? And then I think about their personalities and how they will handle these conflict and conflict resolutions. And then from there, I'll just draft and 
draft and draft again until I have something that resembles a beginning, a middle, end. Some of the social commentary that I have in my short stories, it's very deliberate. Sometimes it just happens and I think, holy crow, I'm really clever. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great description. And you have to know you made Cheryl really happy. <laughs> <laughs> over here like just envision this person jumping around playing <laughs> confetti all around like yes i love she the didn't... way you worded it as a horse trotting around because some people can do that outline and i think the more we do talk about the panther it's giving it freedom to some who struggle I know myself, I was one that kept doing the outline. And for years, I stayed in that outline and mm. I got nowhere until I finally allowed myself to just go with it. I think there's a lot to be said about organizing. Believe that, but sometimes I do it the other way around. Thank you, because I think this is good always that people write. Yes. And it was very vivid to me how you were describing the way you pick a life experience and then some characters mm -hmm. and then some personality traits and how would they handle it? I can see that. I can envision. Yeah. I can feel how you're doing that. I've never mm -hmm. heard somebody describe it like that, Robert. I think that will be helpful to a lot of people, too. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you're cooking. Oh, I'll take a little of this. And how does this fit mm -hmm. in? Will right. this taste good with it? Right. Let me try and see and like if it doesn't work that's the beauty of it throw it out or you try a new paragraph or try a new point of view eventually you'll just hit the sweet spot now i know that the outliners in the audience are like that sounds like chaos and i'm like well yeah it is but it's rewarding yeah but robert don't you think sometimes we are organizing in our brain before we even sit down to write yeah exactly i think you hit on a key point that i haven't seen a lot of people think of when they think of a pantser they think we just create on a whim and it's like well no there's some level of thought that goes into the process so Another thing that I picked up in that particular piece that you wrote, Deserving Conference, is that like your character in the story, you identify as one who has multiple diversity experiences, the intersectionality of diversity. On your website, you say that you're both proudly disabled and proudly gay. What has the journey of developing that perspective been like for you? Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. Growing up, I was actually a victim to a lot of internalized homophobia as well as internalized ableism. And that really shaped how I viewed the world from an early age. And except unraveling that, it took a really long time. One of the key things I would suggest for a lot of people is to try to have a group of diverse friends. And more importantly, if you're an introvert like me, try to read a lot or listen to a wide array of music. Just try to be open-minded and listen to the points of views of others. 
And don't be afraid to put yourself under a magnifying glass and really look at yourself and the kinds of beliefs that you hold. But it was quite a lengthy journey for me to go from having a lot of internalized ableism and internalized homophobia to where I'm at today. It took a lot of soul search. And like I said, just listening to people's experiences and really trying to put yourself in their shoes. Well, that's tremendous advice. Thank you, Robert. Thank mm-hmm. you. We're so glad that you've come through that. And my wish is that you continue to and understand more so that you can help lead us into better understanding too. Cheryl? Thank you, Robert. Yeah, thank you. How would you describe the benefits of blogging for authors and As a follow-up, how do you select your topics or themes? With every author, the goal is very different. My goal is to try to create evergreen content that will educate and will break down a lot of barriers and make it easier on quite a bit of other authors to submit. In terms of the benefits of blogging, It just flexes your writing muscle and like it gets you used to writing foreign readership and you have to flex your writing muscle just as much as you read. You have to flex your writing muscle just like you would do exercising. My belief is that you don't have to write every day, but you do have to stay connected to your writing muscle so that you can flex it when you need to. When you say connected to muscles, do you also mean, do you have to be consistent in some way, whether it's not daily, weekly, monthly? Do your readers expect that from you? For me, my readers have come to accept that I'll write whenever I choose to, but they know that usually about once a month or something, I will have a new post up. So Yeah, there's a little bit of consistency on my part. I try to blog once a month because my blog is mainly about picking apart uh, systemic issues and how do we rebuild this structure so that we can make it inclusive for future generations and things like that. So my blogging requires a lot of research and a lot of picking apart both sides of an argument and trying to think of an angle, a progressive uh, kind of angle that nobody has really thought about or really thought of. I think what you're doing monthly is for articles. You put a lot of research time and thought into what you're writing. For me anyway, and I believe Kathy too, we are absorbed. You bring us right into that story. I appreciate your writing. Thank you. Thank you so much. I care very much about the progressive messaging that I want non-disabled people to walk away from after reading my blog. I want non-disabled people and disabled people to come into my house, per se, look around a little bit, read a few opinions, read a few thoughts, and come away thinking about a new perspective that they have never heard of. You do that well. Exactly what I was thinking. He does that Mm -hmm. very well. Mm -hmm. And for those of us that have disabilities, Robert, you help us look at those issues in a different way. And as you have explained the systemic impact and how we could possibly rebuild for greater inclusivity. What a tremendous mission and contribution. So there's one other area we wanted to 
briefly address because it's very unusual as far as I'm concerned. And your bio describes you as editing audio description. Can you tell us what that is and what's involved? Yes. I actually write audio description for movies and TV shows, and that is a very different skill set. However, it does utilize my core tenets of writing craft to make the audio description shine or flow, I guess you could say. I am brand new to this industry. However, I am a massive uh, consumer of audio description. Ever since when I was little, I would watch audio described movies and TV shows and really pick them apart. And so as I got more into writing, I noticed the word choices that were being used in the audio description scripts. And I thought, well, this could have been worded a bit differently. So I just woke up one morning and said, I want to be involved in this industry because blind and visually impaired people created audio description. So why shouldn't we be involved in the making of it? Okay, so I'm going to ask a question that relates to my ignorance. (laughs) How can you do the audio description? Do you have sight? No, I don't have sight. However, there are quite a bit of adaptations that I use in order to do this. It might actually be a team member. It might be a coworker to sit down with me and sort of give me a rough description. And then I record it. And then I would go back and really listen to the recording, listen to the soundtrack, the movie over TV show. And then I would jot down notes and things and make sure that I noted the uh, timestamp. Because if you look at essentially what an audio description writer does. They are interpreting what's happening visually on the screen. Even though my sources are not just visual input, I'm still basically doing the same job as they are. I just have more sources for the input. Absolutely. Wow. I couldn't figure out how you were doing it. (laughs) You replace the input. You get the information through a different avenue. That's brilliant. Kudos to you. And I agree. This audio description field was created by us, for us. Why shouldn't it be an opportunity for our folks to have employment and contribute? We all know that some audio description scripts are not as great as they could be. We'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. So thank you for contributing to that field. How would people yeah. find out more about that field? Go to the Audio Description Project website? Yes, they have a massive database on samples and things like that that you could listen to. They have training resources. They have educational resources. Just go to the website. Excellent. As long as you have internet, right? Right. Like yes. Off the grid. Right. Yes. <laughs> For listeners that haven't read Off the Grid yet by Robert, when he needed anything and he had decided not to use the internet for a month, he was calling 411 and trying to get information, (laughs) using paper phone books. This guy was having to be very creative. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. That brings me back. And your descriptions are fabulous. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) 
Robert, what is the easiest way for our listeners to learn more about you and your publications and where can they buy them? The easiest way is to go to my website, which is blindjournalist.wordpress.com. Thank you, Robert, for being with us and providing an exciting, informative interview. You've been a terrific guest, author, and editor. We know our writers will benefit greatly from this conversation and reading your work. For our listeners, be sure to review the show notes for this episode or visit writingworkswonders.com. Many of the articles we have mentioned in this episode are freely available in written and also audio format. Robert, make sure of that. This episode's dedicated webpage and show notes include links to all these materials and Robert's books and blog. Thank you for joining us today at Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. Now tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. We also have a donate button, and that's to help with the expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this show and podcast going. There's a link there that you can tap on that will take you directly to our website at www.writingworkswonders.com. There you will find all the information we talked about today along with show notes and so much more. We want you to feel encouraged and inspired to know the wonder of writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. Thank you.